So Matthew 21, picking up in verse 23. And when he entered the temple, that's Jesus, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not, okay, like most of our kids. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and they beat one and they killed another and they stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first. And they did the same to them, finally. He sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, well, he will put those wretches to miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you not read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. There, there is nothing more tragic uh, than watching these pastors, these chief elders, these leaders who were supposed to be the ones bringing and waiting and helping God's people see the Messiah. It's, it's so tragic throughout this gospel 
to see how addicted to man's praise and how they feared the crowd and how they, they wanted a status. They wanted, you know, like to, to be the special ones among the people, how all of that, all of that, just that poison of having a reputation, being above all the people kept these pastors from Jesus and even worse, led them to his murder. Like that's just, it's tragic. And we should hate texts like these. And, and we need to feel, I've been praying for us all week, a kind of urgency. Like in, in, in this time where God has providentially put us in this text because these kinds of subtleties, that of building up yourself, leaning into your own power, craving praise and title and feeling special and, and not admitting dependency and sufficiency in God and, and feeling like you're a little better than others and is, listen, is as alive today in the church, in pastors, like blind spots are to a horrible car crash. And so I, I wanted to read this text and bring this up before we pray because uh, here's what we're gonna do in this study together. We're gonna do something a little different. I'm gonna give us six ways to have the kingdom of God taken from you. So we're gonna look at six ways throughout this passage that you can be sure you're not going to heaven. Six ways. And the reason I wanna show us this and the thread of these is so that um, we, can, we can ask, and I, I use that word lightly, plead with Christ to show us where and if and how one of these six, some of these six are at work on our own hearts. And so before we pray, I want you to pray. Uh, and by the way, I get that passage right from that verse there. You can see it in verse 43. But I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will, will you reveal which of these you see at work? Now that's the key because you might have, well, this might be at work, but you don't want that. If God exists, which he does, you want him to show you this is the one because that's what a blind spot is. You can't see it. And so here's, here's what I want you to hear right now. We're all hopeless apart from the Holy Spirit illuminating while we hear the text preached, this is it. And when you hear his voice, the Bible says, do not harden your heart. If you hear him go, this is it. Write it down, put it in your notes, go, okay, that, that God just spoke to me. Like, think about that. The God of the universe just said something to you. So, so you're gonna pray because we have blind spots and I was praying all day and all week for mine, but don't just pray, show me. What the Pharisees never got and never really wanted was to be broken by what they saw. So it's a dangerous prayer. And then you pray and then break me, like break my heart. Help me to hate that and bring it to the cross of Christ where my forgiveness is full. So you pray, then I'll pray. And then we'll walk through six things that will send you to hell, okay? All right.
Father, I just ask you would reveal blind spots, things we can't even see, things we, we're just going, we believe we're going on a path and we're about to crash and we don't see it unless you show us and tell us to look over and check our blind spots. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, that you would move our souls into a place where we're ready to be broken and we're hungry to hear and we all defenses are down because we boast not in our righteousness, our right standing and all the power we have comes from being hidden in Christ, comes from the power that is of God and help us to learn that afresh because we, we forget that so fast. And I just, I pray that this message would have such fire and lightning effect in our, in our, our whole lives. And, um, that's a miracle. So I pray you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let, let's set the stage. We kind of know where we're going, but let me just set it up. You can see it's so clear in verse 23. When he, Jesus, entered the temple, uh, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. Just stop there. So here's the context. Jesus is in the temple. Uh, he's teaching, okay? Yesterday, uh, he was literally throwing tables, cleaning house in the temple. We saw this last week as we walked through that passage. Um, he, he was, they were, they were buying and selling. They were trying to make a profit on what sacrifices they could sell. And they were just bartering and just, it was, it was turning into almost a casino for, for themselves and the leaders. And, and so Jesus comes in, he cleans house. He, that next morning, uh, we also saw last week, he came in and he, he curses a fig tree. Uh, if you remember from, from Josh's message, figs, uh, the actual fruit grows first, then the leaves. So Jesus is hungry. He thinks there's some fruit over on the fig tree and then he sees there's no fruit, just leaves, that it's dead. And he curses it as a, as a picture for us to go, this was the nation of Israel. Like these people, they look like they have fruit in their lives, but they're just leaves, right? They're all about themselves. They're not really healthy. They appear healthy, but they're, they're so far from bearing any fruit for God. And so now Jesus is back in the temple and, and he's preaching about the kingdom. He's telling about his love, what God's doing, how to come into the kingdom. Um, most scholars suggest he's in the courtyard of the Gentiles. So you can see there's the, the inner part where the sacrifices and all that took place. You can see all the numbers up there, the holy place, the altar, the priest's courtyard. So Jesus is probably right over here in the Gentiles' courtyard or on the right. And uh, he is preaching. Okay, now here's what you got to remember. This is like... <coughs> Still working on a cold. These are uh, no small group of people, okay? So don't picture like three to five, you know, priests in their robes coming over. Picture like literally an entire mob, okay? Historians tell us that around this time, especially of Passover, um, there's about 156 priests in the courtyard daily. There was a priest that oversaw every like instrument, every food item, uh, you know, every, every aspect of sacrifice a priest oversaw. Right now, there's the 24 high priests. You got the Pharisees. Okay, so you got a picture like a big <clears throat> mob. Now, uh, we're in a movie theater, so I saw this poster on the way in to theater one uh, yesterday. But this is, this is Jesus, okay, right now, okay? This is, you know, Jesus is John Wick. 
He's, he even has Jesus' hair. And this is, this is what you should picture. So this is all the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And I'm serious though, they're coming guns loaded. Like they're not, <coughs> excuse me, hungry to hear. They're not humbly listening. They're not opening the Bible. They're not going, I hope he's fulfilling this. They, they're not wanting to know more about the wonderful majesty of God that they're seeing in miracles and the, and the sinners coming to repentance, which would, which would excite you if you were truly a pastor. No, 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 they're coming as Jesus says in this exact parable to kill the vineyard owner's son. So that picture is pretty accurate. They're coming, guns ablazing, ready to kill this man. And so Jesus is teaching, he's teaching with authority, pivotal moment, and here's our first point. First way <clears throat> to have the kingdom of God taken away from you. Number one, approach Jesus without any intention of listening to him with the hope, they don't want him to be Messiah. That's why I get that line. They don't want to see or believe what he's preaching or teaching with the hope that you really don't need to obey him. Okay, so that's the first, first way to have the kingdom of God taken away from you. Let's read it afresh. And he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? They're all probably like, yeah. Like, I, I kind of love this scene. Basically, they come to trap Jesus. Imagine this, because he's in front of all these worshipers. This is like a huge trap, because if you follow here, if he answers, this is my own authority. If he says it's human authority, well, they, first of all, Jesus doesn't have like the credentials to be a teacher in the temple. He's not officially gone through the whole rabbinical system. But more than that, he's gonna contradict everything he's taught. Because Jesus has continually taught, this is the Father, I'm doing the Father's will. He'll say, before Abraham was, I am. He's, he's forgiving sin in front of them. This is incredible authority from God, which he regularly was vocal about. So he's not gonna say human, so they're like, ha ha ha. If he says from God, he's guilty of blasphemy. And then we, we can arrest him. We can get this over with right now. So they're calling on Jesus to incriminate himself. And, and this is the point. They have no intention on listening. They never did. Never had any intention on listening, hoping that his answer will set them free because they don't want to obey him. Which leads us to the second. So here's the second way to have the kingdom of God taken from you. That's just the first. We have six. Number two, posture yourself above Jesus as your own authority. So if you want to have the kingdom taken from you and not really be saved, just always have this place where you get to question Jesus functionally in your life all the time. Okay, notice with me, not only do they have no intention on listening, what's the posture of their heart? The posture of their heart is the answer Jesus is, who are you? Who do you think you are? Teaching in the temple, what God requires, what God wants, how to come into God's way. And imagine what they have in mind. I mean, who are you to do such things like these, these miracles? And they're trying to get him caught here. All this, 
you declare someone's forgiven and now you, you came into this temple and flipped it over and called it your dad's house? Are you kidding me? Like what authority? They're, they're like, no. From their perspective, Jesus has no training. Here's the subtleness. You notice it a little bit? I'll, I'll put it this way a little bit farther into our lives. Even if you say he's Lord, but also say, I'll get to decide how he gets to be Lord, you're still putting yourself above Jesus. To be clear, like many today, what they refused to see by looking at the evidence was that his authority is rooted in his identity. This is really important, especially if you have people who question you about what the Bible is and how, what authority you guys are Christians on. They refuse to see Jesus' authority is rooted in his identity, meaning an identity, one that he regularly claimed as saying, I am God. He, again, he would say, before Abraham was, I am. Let me give you another verse I alluded to, Matthew 9, 6, so you know this, it'll be on the screen, but Jesus declares a man forgiven, which the Pharisees, because they're all there, the religious leaders. So before you read that verse, look right at me. They know all sin is ultimately against God. So the Pharisees are going, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sin. But Jesus says, you're forgiven as God. I have this authority. Now here's the thing. Anyone, a lunatic could say, you're forgiven and you're forgiven. And like anyone can go around and just say you're forgiven. That doesn't forgive them. So Jesus goes, hey, that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, this is kind of authority I have, change all your molecules in your body so you're healthy and made well. <sighs> Rise up, pick up your bed and go home. Instantly heals him, okay? I put that in there, it's not a verse. Instantly heals him. Instantly. Okay, so what's the ish, right? Well, when you posture yourself above Jesus as your own authority, hear this really closely, you'll only see what you want. Let me say that again. When you posture yourself above Jesus as your own authority over the Bible and over what he says, you will only see what you want. And this is no different than what so many do today. When you approach Jesus' words or the Bible and you say, functionally, I'm the authority, I approve and I choose. This was true in Jesus' day. Our culture is different, so this must be changed in our day. You're doing the same thing. Put another way, if we say Jesus' authority in his teaching derived mainly from his historical vantage point, then we're also saying our, vant our historical vantage point can trump his. That is, from our vantage point now, we see some things, well, he was right on that. He was great to women. He doesn't want women to be oppressed, but on issues of sexuality and on issues of all these other areas that today our culture would say, I think Jesus would have a different point of view if he was here. We do the same. But as you look at his claims, the question is, does his teaching authority derive from his identity Yes, if his teaching authority derives from his identity as being who he said he is, if you believe he's the divine son as he said he is, you have to believe everything he says. 
You have to take everything he said as true. If he is who he says he is, then you have to take it all. You actually, you really shouldn't accept much of anything if, if he is not who he says he is. By the way, everyone has an authority. This is a whole different sermon, so I'm not gonna say too much on this. Everyone has an authority that's guiding them. It's just good to know that. Everyone has a base belief by which they believe to be true in order to look at Christianity and say, I don't believe that's true because I have to believe this is true. But how do you know that's true? See, what they were doing is they weren't looking at the evidence. If Jesus really is who he claimed to be, then he has the authority. Now, before we move on, I just want to ask us, how's it going on these two? I mean, like seriously, like I just, we need to slow here because most of us will go, yep, I believe the Bible has authority. Like we're, we're kind of skipping through, but I'm after blind spots because I care about your soul. So let me ask you a few questions. Do you posture yourself with a willingness to listen every time the Bible is faithfully open? Is this the posture that you're willing, you're eager? Next question, where do you question Jesus' authority? Now, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to question Jesus and wrestle with things because you love people, but authority's different. Struggling because this is a hard saying in the Bible is different than going, not applying to me, not applying to my friend. That's, di- that's very different. But where do you do that? Where do you stand over the Bible in a way that you'll say, you know what? No one can obey that. This is, this is crazy. You know, let's, there's just, so here's what you do. Here's what a lot of people do. There's just so many interpretations out there that we can't really know. And you can, you actually can. There is right interpretation. The Bible is simple in the sense that it's made for us to know God's will. It's a whole different sermon, but, or let me ask you this, okay? And again, if you're a pastor in here, three of y'all, these pastors, is your intention deep down while you're here on a Sunday, wherever you encounter the teaching of Jesus to decide if you approve or not? Like, are you hungry to hear? Are you like, God, just interrupt my life. Like, I'm just, I'm so, I can't believe it. Do you, do you have like this, like, I wonder what God's gonna say to me today? You know, where you just come in, you're just like, oh, okay. Like, I just, I wonder if he's gonna speak in this song. And I just, I wanna, is that in your heart? Or do you, do you play gymnastics with every sermon, with every verse where you're like, mm, I probably couldn't mean that. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's for us, honey. Even though you're crying, I don't think it's for you. Do you just, you, do you play that? Do you play games with God? That's what they did. Look, I, I'm, I'm gonna be harsh on us because I love us because if no one shows us our blind spots, we're gonna crash. So this is their approach. Uh, how does Jesus respond? He's amazing. Jesus, obviously, he's amazing. He flips it right on them. Watch this, okay? You probably saw it, but watch. He literally flips the same authority question on their lack of obedience on who's divine and who's not. Okay, so here's the third way. Third way to not get to heaven. Prefer, prefer the loyalty and praise of men. 
over pointing others to the praise of God. Prefer that. Again, we're talking about pastors and elders, and Christians. These, are, these, these were the Bible guys. We have to, just, we have to see ourselves in, in the John Wick crowd with a gun out, okay? Just for this sermon, we have to feel like God is a gun out. Here, so he flips it on them. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? Notice that. He's like, okay, you wanna know what source is who's doing what? John, let's talk about John the Baptist. What's his source of authority? And they discuss it among themselves. Well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe? Yeah, but if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd. We, we, need, we need them to love us. And they say nothing. Do you see what Jesus is doing? God was speaking through John with such power. Such like anointing. I mean, he's the guy in the desert going, repent, make your way, make it ready. He even talked about the Messiah. He's like, this guy, there's one coming. Like it's go time. He's coming who I'm unworthy to tie his sandals. So his message from God was you need to have a hungry desire to want the Messiah. You need to repent in a way that, that you're saying to your soul, the priority and the hope of, of what I want in living water is, is this Messiah, I want him now. Come and save me as, as Hosanna, they cried. And he's rebuking the leaders because John the Baptist came and they what? They chose, let me say that again, they chose to reject his voice. That's points one and two. They preferred glory while watching prostitutes get baptized and ready for Christ so they wouldn't go in that water because they preferred glory because everyone thought, well, they're so good. When the Messiah comes, they'll probably get on the throne. And they were like, hmm. They preferred the glory they developed for themselves and the glory they received from man. We can't lose our specialness. We can't look like we're going in the water. How would that look? They'll think we're sinners. Which leads Jesus to the third parable about them. No, three parables, sorry, three parables. The third we're gonna hit next week, which takes us to the fourth way to the kingdom. Here's, here's how you can have the kingdom of God taken away from you, okay? Here it is. Tell God, like, you know, I'm all in. You tell him, I'm yours. I'll do what you say, but in the end, you don't, okay? So tell God, like, put on a mask of devotion. So when people look into your life, they're like, you Christian? Oh yeah, look, I got my Bible in my purse. Oh, like have a mask. But when it comes to doing how the father says we come into to his presence and his kingdom, be like, no, I have my own way in. So here's the parable. What, what do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind. So who's that? That's the prostitutes and the tax collectors, right? I don't want, and they changed their mind. And when he went to the other son, he said the same. And, and he answered, I go, sir, I'm all in. 
but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. He said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Now imagine he's in that temple, okay? You got to picture this. He's in the temple and like, this is a very provocative thing to say because guess who's not in the temple? The prostitutes and the tax collectors. So this would have like shocked them. What? What grounds would those sexual immoral and cheaters get into the kingdom? Jesus says, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. They're the ones who changed their minds and came in the way the father laid out. And look at this, it'll be on the screen here in in verse 32b. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Like what was the will of the father? What, What is the father's way? Again, it was prepare and repent, prepare your heart, turn from your heart's disordered loves to God. Why? So as to prepare for your redeemer. See, here's what the prostitutes saw. They saw, I'm not able to clean myself up. They they were like, I'm desperately in need of a righteousness that's not mine. I can't get it. They, They came in the waters pleading for the grace of God to just flow over them because they needed a savior. The people going to John the Baptist were broken. They saw on their own, in their own efforts, they were hopeless. More than that, they wanted to be ready for God's soul satisfying, quenching provision. They wanted it. So let me say this, coming to the end of yourself to gain the one who's come to give us a new self is what repentance is all about. Like coming to an end of yourself to gain the one who's come to give us a new self, to gain Christ. It's, about, it's a gift of turning from death to life, from sin to Jesus, from Satan to God, from hell to heaven. A mask of I'm good, by the way, that is the masks of the North Shore. I'm, I'm fine, I don't need a savior. I'm fine, I'm fine. Don't trust in your mask, okay? If you hear one thing right now, don't trust, turn to your neighbor and say, don't trust in your mask, okay? Some of you didn't do it, just point you out. You're like, that's very pharisaical, okay. Um, fifth way, okay? Fifth way to have the kingdom of God taken from you. When you see others repent and surrender. So when you see maybe a friend or a family member give their life to Jesus and their whole life changes and they surrender and they come into God's kingdom and they're all about like, man, I was so horrible and I'm, and my, I'm dressed in Christ's righteousness, not my own. And they're so happy they have Christ in there. You don't go near that. You feel good about your own self-salvation, okay? You just... Good for you. I got my own thing, okay? You didn't read your Bible and memorize the entire Pentateuch, but I did. Okay, still don't. Don't be impressed. Even when you saw it, it says you did not afterward change. So sure, church, I I just want you to see the, the thread here. Do you see it? There's a poison 
And this is where you might see the poison come into your own life. Listen, listen, all the time, their focus was on my ability, my likability, my power, my potential. That's the poison. They were so enamored with how special they felt in the power they wielded. Listen, listen, put a whole other way. They had no place for weakness in their view of reality. Some of you live in that functionally. You're the hardest on yourselves. You have no view in your reality for weakness. And sadly, it may look like they don't reject God, but in the end of the second son in Jesus' parable, because they're not coming the way God's called them to come. They're doing it in the present moment. They're in the temple doing that. Their redeemer, their greatest hope is being neglected and rejected right before them by them. And here's the, here's, here, the poison, it's subtle, but if you believe and live in a posture of I'm powerful and only need him if I'm failing, then you're operating from your strength with a functional atheism. Does that make sense? If you believe and live in the posture of I'm powerful and only need him if I'm failing, then you're operating from your strength with a functional atheism, I don't need God. And here's, the, here's where the arrow will, will come. The more we think we're strong, the more we'll never wanna see where we're not. The more you think you're okay, the more hard you will get when someone points out you're not. Weakness, being poor in spirit is how you stay the strongest in the kingdom of God. It's how you stay the strongest. Why, how, if what, read your whole New Testament. Where does strength come from? Your power or God's power? God's power, right? The strength we're walking in is in the surpassing worth of God. Remember the verses Norm took us through a few weeks ago when Jesus tells Paul, after Paul pleads with him because Jesus allowed a messenger of Satan to torment him, to keep him humble. And Paul's like, hey, take this from me. What does Jesus himself say to Paul? He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And do you remember Paul's response? Paul wasn't like, that sucks. He goes, okay. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Boast in my weaknesses so that they'll see the surpassing worth power belongs to God. Here's another verse, 1 Corinthians 2. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. This is what it means to be a Christian. You don't have the power in our own strength. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I was so excited about spiritual gifts because spiritual gifts are not even your own ability. You steward a divine power that is gonna be given to strengthen others' faith. Like to be a Christian is to no longer live in dependency and sufficiency in self, but on God. That's where the power is. That means God can use everyone and anyone. Here's what that means. Our ordinariness is not a liability, it's an asset. In the kingdom of God, if you really want God to get the glory, Paul says you should be a 
a, you know, a clay pot. Here's another really exciting verse. Paul says this. It'll be on the screen. I got to find it in my notes because I just went off my notes. I'll read it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What treasure? The gospel, the Holy Spirit, the message of the gospel. So we have this. You have, if you're a Christian here, say, I have this. You have this. I have this treasure. And guess what you are? You're a, pay, you're a clay pot. You know, some of us only have great memories. We like stutter over our words. We're just broken people, right? We struggle with sin. We're, you know, we feel like we're just not adequate enough. That's the point. He's so excited to use clay pots. All of us are clay pots. But why? Who's God's, who, whose glory is God after, yours or his? His. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's how we live. That's exciting. Okay, to be clear, the goal, let me, let me see, is not just weakness for weakness sake. The goal is true power. Like we said a few weeks ago, true success. Jesus is flipping everything on its head in the kingdom of God. And it's in that place we truly flourish. That place is the guaranteed place of power. For them to confess need or weakness was failure. Not so among God's people. Okay, just so you know, we're gonna be praying for each other after the gathering. So if you're like, oh, I should probably stay awake for this. Just in case I'm praying, you are. We're gonna pray for each other in this room. It is strength to admit where you need Christ to be your power. For them to confess need or weakness was failure, not in the kingdom. Rather than looking to Christ to redeem, they acted as their own redeemer. Okay? Which takes us to the last six, number six. Last way to have the kingdom of God taken from you. Reject, here it is, reject any person or preacher or messenger of God speaking truth. And don't just reject them. Make sure they feel beaten down, rejected, and judged. Like, don't just, you know, be like, I'm not gonna list them. Listen to them. Judge them, reject them, beat them down. And if you have to, kill them. Okay, that's, that's the sixth way to have the kingdom torn from you. So this is the parable. Let's read it. Here, another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went to another country when the season for fruit drew near. He sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants, they took his servants and they beat one and they killed another and they stoned another again. I believe he's referring to the Old Testament prophets there. And in this verse, he's referring to John the Baptist. And he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Here's what's sad. They will just do that in a few days. They will throw Jesus out of the Jerusalem and they will kill him. They will kill the son. And Jesus' point is they've done that before and before and before. They actually 
stoned Jeremiah, they killed Zechariah. God kept sending prophets that caused people to repent and the religious leaders would say, no, no, everything's fine. And the judgment would come in Assyria and Babylon and they kept sending prophets. Here's one prophet, listen to, listen to Isaiah. So Hosea comes about 700 years ago before this day and says, God's pursuing you. Guys, return to the Lord. He is, he's done, he's, he's torn us so that he may heal us and he desires steadfast love, not religious sacrifice. And here's what, the, here's what we read in Hosea's prophecy of what these people thought about themselves, which is again, the chief elders, which again, could be some of us in this room. To me, this is God speaking, to me they cry, my God, we Israel, we know you. They made kings. And here's what God says, but not through me, not my way. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. Hey, do you, like, do you remember in the book of Exodus when Moses goes up the mountain to hear from God and get the 10 commandments and then all of Israel's down there, they just got uh, you know, set out of Egypt. And what did they do while Moses is up there? Do you remember what they do? They make a golden calf. Do you know what that was? That wasn't a different God. They were worshiping their God in their own image. They couldn't see their God. So they said, this is the God that got us out. Let's make him in our image. And the church has been doing that from the beginning. They thought That's, this is Yahweh, but we'll make Yahweh. We'll decide how Yahweh looks. It's the same poison. This is the danger for us. And if we think, oh, that's not me, that's exactly what they thought. My God, we Israel, we know you. So in closing, um, let me ask you, where, how are you, could you be approaching Jesus without any intention of listening to him. And deep down, you have a hope you don't really need to obey him. Where, how are you, could you be posturing yourself above Jesus as your own authority? Where, how could you be preferring the loyalty and praise of men over pointing to the praise of God. That's your preference. Your preference is that people feel loyal to you. You're loyal because you look great. Do you prefer that more than preferring spending your life as a constant pointer to Jesus? Where, how, and in what way are you telling God, I'm in, I'm following you, I'll do what you say, and you're not? Where and how could you be seeing people change around you, knowing you need to be broken over something, knowing Christ is telling you where this sin will take you and you will not feel broken?
where and how, maybe right now, are you rejecting any person or preacher or messenger of God speaking truth and you are in your head feeling like you want to beat them up? Where is there an unwillingness to admit weakness? That is a sign of weakness. You have the spirit of God in you. Your righteousness is not in you. Uh, the, the author who wrote uh, On Christ the Solid Rock, We Stand, he actually had a vision, a charismatic vision in the most painful time in his life where he felt so much condemnation. He felt like he wasn't doing good enough. He wasn't holy enough. He wasn't pursuing God enough. He was reading all the, like Calvin and those, and, and all of a sudden he saw a vision of Jesus dressed in right, right, and he felt God say, this is you. And everything was released. None of that is on you when you're in Christ. You never have to fear being good enough before the Father. Admitting weakness is the strongest way to get the power of God so that you no longer rely on yourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Strength doesn't impress God. Reliance and dependence impresses God. We're made for his power and his sufficiency, not our own. Fight that. Take in the communion with a gospel reality that all of your merits that will matter on judgment day are Christ's. That's good news. Now we can, now we can go into the world and not fear he's gonna be mad at us. That's a different gospel than the one these religious people believed. This is exhausting. Now, when you do follow Christ to greater life, Christ is gonna say, hey, guess what? That worldly thing that was a priority in your life, I'm gonna get, gain more priority. And that might cut a bit, but it's, it's cutting to greater joy in God. We trust him, we follow him, we have the Holy Spirit in us. It's really exciting. It's hard, just so you know, Jesus says, this, like, I, I could try it, and you guys, someone might get hurt, but like, I might get a sliver. Okay. Everyone's, oh, I hurt my toe. That's what the Christian life is like, okay? But the destination is worth every splinter. That's where we're going. So it's going to be tough but it's far better than the world. It's far better than disobeying God. So we run the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's what I wanna invite you to. So we'll close with this quote from John Calvin. I think it's a, such a beautiful picture of weakness. So let me read it to you and I'll try to explain it. And then we're gonna pray for each other. For then do we make room for Christ's grace when in true humility of mind we feel and confess our own weakness. The valleys are watered with rain to make them fruitful, while in the meantime, the high summits of the lofty mountains remain dry. Let that man therefore become a valley who is desirous to receive the heavenly reign of God's spiritual grace. Do you see what he's saying? 
Jesus is the rain. The rain is God's grace poured out. It's not possessed, owned, or controlled, and is only poured out for those who become a valley. Those who humble themselves and acknowledge their weaknesses are filled with full, refreshing downpour of God's flowing love upon the soil of your heart. God invites you into the valley. The question is whether we will accept the invitation. You will always be on this side of heaven in the shadows of the mountains. People around you will look more powerful, more great, but there is a wind that is dry the elders and the chief priests would have to risk everything to follow Jesus. Everything. They would have nothing. All of it would be gone in their status and what they treasured more than God. But they stayed on the mountain and they never came into the valley. 